we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I want to invite your attention this morning to the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter number 3. And uh, we've been looking at this chapter for a few weeks, and I believe we'll conclude it this morning, 2 Samuel chapter number 3. And before we read our text in verse 28, I want you to go with me to verse number 1. And I just want to share some things with you and, and bring you up to speed. Maybe this is the first sermon in this series you've heard or you've missed one or two along the way. And so I just want to recap chapter 3 very briefly, and then we'll move forward. But in 2 Samuel chapter number 3, in verse number 1, the Bible said, Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. We've been looking at the subject of this long war in chapter 3. And as I mentioned to you before, this, this record of David's life is not just a historical account, although it is a historical account. It is also, for us, prophetic. It's prophetic in that it speaks not just simply of David's kingdom here on earth a few thousand years ago, but it speaks of the coming kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This long war, then, that is taking place speaks of the struggle between not only the house of Saul and the house of David, but it, it speaks of the, the conflict that we are currently engaged in, the conflict between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdoms of this world. The house of Saul represents the kingdoms of this world. Remember the men of Israel said uh, to Samuel the prophet, give us a king like all the other nations. We want to be just like them. And we find here that uh, Saul represents then uh, what man can do, what man can do. But we know that man will leave us empty and unfulfilled. And men in their rebellion today are resisting the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And during this time, we are in the midst of this long war. But as we note here, in verse number one, in the midst of this long war, the house of David waxed stronger and stronger. The word wax just simply means grew. The house of David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. We are watching as our world is deteriorating. We are watching as the institutions of this world, the ideologies of this world, uh, are, are proving to be ineffective and, and unfulfilling. And we are seeing the Lord Jesus in his kingdom growing stronger and stronger. Now, as we've noted in this passage, we've seen three things, two of them so far, a third one I'll show you, God willing, this morning. First of all, we saw in this long war a sovereign, a king, that's David, and he is seeking reconciliation. He's not looking for retribution. He is seeking reconciliation. He is seeking to bring those adversaries that he had into a relationship with him, to bring them into peace. In particular, he's speaking of the house of Saul. 
And so he's not seeking to punish those who've been loyal to Saul. He's seeking to reconcile them to himself. We have in Abner in this chapter, a picture of one who was the chief of sinners in the fact that he was the chief, the captain of Saul's army. And he has been converted now over to the kingdom of David. You and I, uh, once lost in our sin, uh, estranged from God, alienated from the life of God. If we know now the Lord Jesus, we have been reconciled to him. He did not come to destroy men's lives. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I trust that you've been reconciled to him. A second thing we noted last week was that there was also in the midst of this long war, a servant seeking revenge. His name is Joab and he's taking out his vengeance upon Abner. Uh, he has justified his act of vengeance. He, he says this Abner took the life of Azahel. We saw that in chapter uh, number two. Azahel died in a battle. Azahel foolishly died in his own insistence to continue to pursue after Abner. And so he died in battle. It was not an act of murder. It was not a malicious act. It was really an act on Abner's part of self-defense. But Joab seeks retribution and revenge. And it doesn't matter to him that Abner has now made peace with David, that Abner is now converted over to David. And not only has Abner been converted to David, but we saw that Abner was commissioned by David to go to the men of the house of Israel and bring them to David. That's the ministry that God has given to us. It is the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. But Joab, instead of working and submitting to the leadership of his king and working with his newfound brother in Christ, seeks revenge. And therefore he murdered Abner. He brought reproach upon the name of David and he threatened the security of David's kingdom. I want you to imagine with me what was happening in David's mind. He's been working to reconcile the nation of Israel to himself and finally a, a, a vital person who could help him reconcile the entire nation has come to him and has been restored to him, has been converted to him. And now one of his other men who's been loyal all this time takes out a personal vendetta against Abner and he threatens the security of David's kingdom. So we saw a sovereign seeking re reconciliation, a servant seeking revenge. And in that servant, Joab, we as God's people are warned that we need to be careful in our relationship to one another, the way we treat one another, the way we respond to one another. And then finally, this morning, as we come to verses 28 through 39, we're going to see a soldier seeking rest. A soldier seeking rest. David is that soldier. He's been fighting for a long time. He's been fighting since he was a young man when he slew the giant in the Valley of Elah, when he led Saul's armies into battle, and then eventually when Saul turned against him and David fled into the wilderness. He's been fighting in this conflict for a very long time, and we're going to find that today he gets weary in the battle. 
I want to ask you a question. Do you ever get weary in the battle? Well, David certainly did. I want you to look at it with me, if you would, please, in chapter 3 and verse number 28. The Bible said, and afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house, and let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue, or that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, slew Abner because he had slain their brother Azahel at Gibeon in the battle. And David said to Joab and to all the people that were with him, rend your clothes and gird you with sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And King David himself followed the buyer. And they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner and all the people wept. And the king lamented over Abner and said, died Abner as a fool dieth. Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. As a man falleth before the wicked men, so fellest thou. And all the people wept again over him. And when all the people came to cause David to eat meat, while it was yet day, David swore, saying, So do God to me and more also, if I taste bread or aught else till the sun be down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them, as whatsoever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it was not of the king to slay Abner the son of Ner. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? And I am this day weak, though anointed king. And these men, the sons of Zeruiah, be too hard for me. The Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. I want you to note with me that phrase that we find in verse number 39. And I am this day weak, though anointed king. And these men, the sons of Zeruiah, that's Joab. That's his brother Abishai. And that is Azahel. He said, they be too hard for me. For the Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. You see, David here acknowledges that though his kingdom is growing stronger and stronger, at this moment, in this day, he confesses that he is weak, that he is weary in the battle. And as I asked you just a moment ago, do you find yourself in this struggle that we're engaged in, getting weary in the battle? You see, maintaining our marriage relationship, leading our children, loving them as we should, guiding them, disciplining them, dealing with the daily issues that come into their lives dealing with our finance, dealing with our, our, our work schedules, and dealing with uh, the people that we work with, dealing with this world and the political climate and the hatred and the strife and the confusion of this age, trying as a Christian to serve God and worship Him and read the Word of God and maintain a prayer life. It's a battle, isn't it? It's a conflict. It's a struggle that we are all engaged in. We're all in the midst of this long war. And we get weary in it. That's why the Bible tells us not to be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And here we find David really now 
at the threshold of establishing his rule. And how does he find himself? He finds himself in a condition of weakness. He said, I am this day weak, though anointed. The anointing oil which came over his head uh, there in the house of his father, Jesse, it signified that God had set him apart, that God had sealed him by his spirit to be the leader of the nation of Israel. And I want to say to you that if you know Christ, there is a sense in which we are anointed. He has set us apart. He has touched us. We are a nation of priests and kings, Peter wrote to us. But though we are anointed, though we have a heavenly home, though we have a future in the house of Jesus, we do find ourselves growing weary. I want you to note with me this morning three sources of this weakness that I believe contributed to David's condition. And I want to point out to you in conclusion how that God uses our weakness to impart his strength to us. So if you find yourself weak and weary this morning, let me encourage you. You are at the right place at the right time for God to manifest his grace and his power and his strength in your life. So how did David get to this point? Well, I think three things contributed to it, and I hope you'll write them down. Number one, we see the cruelty of men. The cruelty of men. David, if you'll note again with me in verse number 28, and afterward when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Here the king declares his innocence. Again, I want you to go into the heart and mind of David. He has finally ascended to the throne. He is trying to bring the nation of Israel uh, into unity under his leadership. And one of his own servants, in a personal act of revenge, in a, uh, takes, out a, uh, takes an opportunity uh, to smite one of David's newfound servants, a very critical newfound servant that Abner was. Because Abner had the ability and the relationship with the men of Israel to win their trust and bring them to David. And David's concern is that all the nation of Israel will now think that he had Abner put to death. And that's what many would have thought once they heard the news. And so David declares his innocence. I had nothing to do with this. So we see the king's innocence. Then we see the king's sentence. Look, if you would, please, in verse 29. Let it rest on the head of Joab. I want you to know this was not an act of David the king, he said. This is an act of Joab. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house. Let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue, or that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. So Joab and Abishai his brother slew Abner, because he had slain their brother Azahel at Gibeon in the battle. So here's the king's sentence. It's a sentence of condemnation upon Joab. Let there be retribution. Let Joab suffer the consequences. Let Joab pay the price for his crime. You see, David was living in a time when he was surrounded by cruel men. He experienced the cruelty of their words. I want to tell you that people can say some mean things, can't they? 
We live in a harsh, cruel world. The rhetoric in our world has been turned up, has it not? It's beyond imagination what people say to one another today. And I think the, the uh, age of social media has contributed to that without doubt. People sit behind a keyboard and say things that they would never say to someone's face. They've been emboldened by their anonymity as they take on their anonymous accounts. They slander the character of people without any fear of retribution or being held accountable for their words. We live in an age of cruelty. The problem is, is that cruelty that is so pervasive in the world can spill over into our lives, into our hearts, and into the church. And we can be cruel in our words and our treatment of one another. Oftentimes children in school can say the meanest things, can they not? But adults can too. We've just learned how to dress it up. We've learned like Joab how to excuse the cruelty and harshness of our words. And I want to tell you that we will give an account for the words that we speak. The slander, the harsh things that we say, the criticisms that we launch against one another. May God help us to understand that he has not called us to cruelty. He's called us to kindness. You see, David experienced the cruelty of their words. He experienced the cruelty of their deeds. He was surrounded by violent men, men like Saul, of course, who wanted to kill him. He tried on uh, two attempts to throw his spear at him, and he missed both times. It's a good thing he wasn't a good shot, right? A man like Doeg, who at the command of Saul, took up a sword and slew the priests. A man like Nabal, who was churlish and mean. David was surrounded by these men. A man like Joab, who would not submit to his sovereign, but acted according to his own selfish desire. We live in a violent world. We live in a world where a woman can't walk down the stairwell to go to a subway station without fear of a man. And you perhaps saw this in the news recently, striking her in the head with a hammer. It's a wicked world. You know, there's a sense in which in Hickory, North Carolina, we're a bit insulated from that, but that spirit is pervasive in our nation and in our world. Now, what leads people to such cruelty? What caused Joab to be so cruel? Well, I think it was his insecurity, don't you? Joab wanted to retain his position, and Abner certainly was a threat. Perhaps it was jealousy. And jealousy can cause us to be cruel. Uh, here, Abner had been commissioned by the king to go to the men of Israel. Joab had fought many battles, but he didn't have that ability. He could not bring the men of Israel to David. Perhaps he was jealous. Perhaps he was covetous. He wanted that position. You know, self-righteousness can make us pretty cruel, can it? When we decide that we have somehow arrived and we are the authorities, you ever, you, you've uttered these three words, haven't you? In my opinion. Let me tell you what I think. 
You see, if we're not careful, here's what happens to us. We have, uh, in our minds, ascended to some power, some some position where, where we have become the judge. And we are the people with all the answers. And, and, and we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ even uh, through the lenses of self-righteousness. And by the way, oftentimes self-righteousness cloaks itself in the garments of legalism. But let me tell you, it also cloaks itself in the garments of liberty. Self-righteous. I know what's right. Those people are wrong. This was the attitude of Joab. Offenses can cause us to become cruel. When we've been offended, when somebody's hurt us, when someone has said something about us, or maybe they didn't say it after all, maybe we just thought they did, or somebody told us they did. You know, the devil has a lot of channels that he likes to disseminate fake news through. Make sure that your tongue is not one of them. Unforgiveness. I, I, I believe with all my heart as you read 2 Samuel chapter 3 that, that uh, Abner regretted what happened in battle with Azahel. And he tried to straighten it out. He tried to communicate that he tried, to tell, he tried to get the message to Joab that, hey, your brother, he would not turn back. He, he continued to pursue after me. I had no other choice. We know that he told Azahel, listen, if you don't, if you don't turn around, I'm going to have a problem with Joab. So we believe that he tried to make it right. He tried to talk to Joab about it, but you know what? Joab would hear nothing of it. You see, once we've been offended, once we've been hurt, we're not usually, unless we have the grace of God working abundantly in our life, we're not usually interested in forgiveness. Who can you think of that's offended you, that's hurt you? Are you interested in forgiving them? Oh, I can imagine Joab said to Abner, hey, look, we don't need to talk about that. Everything's good. We're fine. The truth of the matter is they weren't. And it was manifest when Joab smote Abner under the fifth rib and killed him. The cruelty of men weakens us. That word weak means to tenderize. God has a way of using this cruelty to tender our hearts. You know, oftentimes when I talk to a child who's been hurt by another, I'll say, look, there's a lesson for you to learn here. If somebody's words have hurt you. Let me make sure you understand not to use your words to hurt others. Let me give you a second thought. Not only do we see that God used the cruelty of men, but we see that God used the crying of men to weaken David. Now look, if you would please, in verse 31, and David said to Joab and to all the people that were with him, rend your clothes, gird you with sackcloth, and mourn before Abner. David told Joab, put your funeral clothes on. We're going to have a funeral for Abner. We're going to give him a state funeral. We're going to recognize him for his service. 
Verse 31 again, and King David himself followed the buyer. He followed the casket, the procession. Verse 32, and they buried Abner in Hebron and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner and all the people wept. You see, the king mourned for Abner. He cried for Abner. He led the people to pay tribute and honor to Abner. Then we see in verse 33, not only did the king mourn for Abner, but he memorialized him. Look, if you would, in verse 33. And the king lamented over Abner and said, died Abner as a fool dieth? He asked a question here in his lamentation. Died Abner as a fool dieth? Verse 34, thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. As a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. And all the people wept again over him. You see, this was a heinous act that Joab perpetrated against Abner. Thus the memorial tribute, died Abner as a fool dieth? You see, Joab vindicated his vengeance. Joab said, you know, I want you to know, David. I want you to know, king. I want everybody to know that this man, Abner, he killed my brother. And I'm the avenger of blood. You see, as we study in the Old Testament, as you read through the uh, books of the Bible, as you're going through your scripture reading for the year, you come to Deuteronomy, you're going to find that God established cities of refuge. Those cities of refuge are places where men could run to in the event that they had caused the death of another man. Now, if a man was murdered, there was to be swift and certain justice. And the avenger of the blood was someone in the family of the victim. Uh, an arrest would be made, a trial would be held, and then the avenger of blood would carry out the sentence of condemnation and death upon the perpetrator of the murder. But Joab decided that he was going to be the avenger of blood. But no trial, would have, no judge, no jury would have ever found Abner to be guilty of murder. In fact, we find that Abner, when he went to David, went to one of those cities of refuge. He was not incarcerated. He was free. Thus David said, thy hands, verse 34, thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. As a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. You did not die, uh, Abner, as a result of an act of justice. No, you died because of wicked men. You didn't die for a crime that you committed. You died because a man committed a crime against you. This was the tribute that David paid to Abner. And it was a striking condemnation of Joab. And what made Joab's crime all the more heinous is the fact that he did it at the gate of the city of Hebron, a city of refuge. The gate was the place of commerce. It was the place where the elders of the city would gather. It was the courthouse, if you would, of the city. It's where legal proceedings would take place. And here in this place of legal proceedings where a man like Abner would have been made just, would have been set free, would have been delivered from the avenger of blood, what happened? Joab murdered him. Now, there's a stark warning for us here. 
Because those of you who know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have fled guilty and condemned to the city of refuge. Jesus is our city of refuge. And once you've entered in and you become a citizen of the family of God, you are freed from condemnation. And that's why, brothers and sisters, that we have to be careful in the way we treat one another. Because when you malign the character, when you mock and ridicule and, and you seek to wound brothers and sisters in Christ, you have caused a great offense against the holy God. You have declared someone guilty who he has found innocent. And so here we have the tears flowing. This innocent man has died. There's weeping. Death brings tears, does it not? Sorrow, violence, hatred, all of these things produce suffering and sorrow in the heart of man. Jesus is a prime example of this for us in John chapter number 11. In verse number 35, as Jesus stood at the grave of Lazarus, the Bible tells us in two words, Jesus wept. Most of us are familiar with that verse because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. But I want you to know it's one of the most significant verses in the Bible. Jesus stood there looking at the tomb of Lazarus and he wept. What did he weep over? I believe he wept over the ravages of sin. You see, the Lord loved Lazarus. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. These were people that he loved. But now Lazarus is dead. And why is he dead? He's dead because sin produces death. <clears throat> the Lord created you and I for fellowship with him. <clears throat> he made us perfectly. He made us to live eternally. But because of our sin, we were separated from him. Because of our sin, we received our due reward. The wages of sin is death. And so the Lord Jesus, as he looked there at the tomb of Lazarus, he thought of the ravages of sin, its effects on humanity, the death it brings, and he wept. I think he also wept over the sorrows of death. In verse number 33, the Bible said that when Jesus therefore saw her, that is Mary, weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? He wept because of the sorrows of death. What does death do? It brings separation. It's final. It's a parting. And looking at Lazarus in his tomb, no doubt he was looking to his own tomb. No doubt he was looking at his own death. For Jesus had come to die to deliver you and I from death. He came and bore our iniquities. He came and bore our sins. And he took our death. He took our hell. He took our punishment upon himself to deliver us from it. And watching the tears stream down the faces of Martha and Mary, no doubt he could see the tears of his mother at Calvary as she would watch her son die. No doubt. No doubt he could go with you to the graveyard when you've laid your loved ones to rest. No doubt he could see your tears 
You see, he wept over the ravages of sin. He wept over the sorrows of death. And I believe he wept over the unbelief of humanity. You see, the Lord Jesus was going to raise Lazarus, but there would still be those who would not believe. In fact, before he raised him, the Bible says in verse 36, Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? You see, they still didn't believe him. And after he raised him, there were those who went and reported his deeds to the Pharisees. They did not believe. I believe he wept over the unbelief of man. You see, God uses the crying of men to weaken us. Let me give you the third thought this morning. And that is God uses the confusion, the confusion of men. The confusion of men. Look with me, if you would, please, in verse 35. And when all the people came to cause David to eat meat while it was yet day, David swears, saying, So do God to me, and more also if I taste bread or aught else till the sun be down. And all the people, now notice this, please, took notice of it. And it pleased them. And whatsoever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people in all Israel understood that day that it was not of the king to slay Abner the son of Ner. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? And I am this day weak, though anointed king, and these men, the sons of Zeruiah, be too hard for me. The Lord shall reward the evildoer, or the doer of evil rather, according to his wickedness. You see, David was living and trying to establish his rule and allowing God to establish his rule, most importantly, in an age of confusion. And my friends, I want you to know that we live in a world that is filled with confusion. The men of Israel had a king. His name was David. He was the anointed of the prophet. He was the man who delivered them from bondage from the Philistines when he slew Goliath. He was an honorable servant of Saul. He was falsely accused and sent into the wilderness, but yet he still fought for the nation of Israel. And now he has come to Hebron to rule and to reign, and they still have not returned to him. They were confused. They didn't know if they could trust him. But as they watched this funeral procession, the Bible said that David, he would not eat. He would not eat because he was mourning for Abner. That pleased them. The Bible says in verse 36, they took notice of it and it pleased them. Then the Bible tells us in the close of verse 36, whatsoever the king did pleased all the people. You see, now they're beginning to know David. They'd heard about him, but now they're with him. They'd heard the lies and accusations of Saul. They'd heard all of the misinformation. But now they're with him. And they're experiencing him. And they're seeing him. Verse 37. For all the people in all Israel, notice the next word please, understood that day that it was not of the king to slay Abner the son of Ner. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel. You see, what was happening is these confused men were getting clarity. The clarity 
that Abner received once he began to commune with David in Hebron. Now these men were receiving once they saw how this just king, the king that the Lord himself had chosen, a king after God's own heart, would respond to them. And their confusion began to fade away. I want you to know, as I said a moment ago, our world is confused. We have an infinite number of problems, but no workable solutions. A lot of proposed solutions, right? This system, that system, this economic system, this political system, this philosophical system, this religion, this God, but there's only one answer, friend, and his name is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Solomon, the son of David, would write in Ecclesiastes, he said, I was looking for the meaning. I was looking for significance. I was looking for the answer to life's equation. And here's the answer that I found after I tried everything, after I tried wealth, after I tried works, after I tried wisdom, after I tried wine, after I tried all the women in the world. Here's what he said. There's only one answer. Fear God and keep his commandments. I want you to know Jesus is the only answer. He's the answer to our confusion. Let me tell you this. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, God is not the author of confusion. So if you find yourself confused today, let me tell you, you need to go to the Lord. You need to go to his word. You need to get the answers that are found there. Now, people today are confused. They're confused about uh, sin. We're, we're all confused about our sin. Our heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? We're deceived about and confused about ourselves. Oftentimes, we can get confused about one another. And then we can grow confused about our God. Now, what causes this confusion? Well, it begins with mistrust, does it not? Let me ask you a question. Can you trust God? Well, now, we say yes, we do. That's the lecture. But lab starts tomorrow with that new supervisor, with that person who comes to you and says, have you heard the latest? With that disappointing news that you get, when things don't work out the way you want them to, when you feel like you've been unjustly treated, will you be confused? Or will you have clarity? Clarity to commit it to God. What did David do? He said, these sons of Zeruiah, they're too hard for me. They're harsh. They're cruel. I can't figure these guys out and I can't control them. I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to deal with them. On one hand, they, they act like they're for me. On the other hand, they're doing things behind my back. I don't trust them. These guys are mean and cruel. And I don't know what to do with them. Do you ever find yourself in that position? Well, what did David do? Well, look at it with me. The end of verse 39. The Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. He said, I, I, I don't know how to deal with all this. Here's one thing I know, the Lord does. You know, at the end of the day, that's where you and I have to arrive. When we're weary, when we're the victims of cruelty or when we are the perpetrators of it, 
when we find ourselves crying and weeping and sorrow and we begin to grow weak in confusion, the answer is trusting God. Trusting the Lord. The Bible says that Jesus, when he was reviled, reviled not again, but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And so David found clarity. Now you and I get weak like David, right? I, I, I confessed in the 830 service that I found myself this week in a place of weakness. A place of discouragement. Now I'm not telling you that because I want your sympathy. I promise you that. I'm telling you that because I know you get there too. We're in the long war, right? And in the long war, we get weak. I want to tell you, dear friends, God will use your weakness to make you strong. Now, that word I, I mentioned a moment ago, that word weak means to be tender. To be tender. You know, if you're going to eat a steak, you want a tender one, not a tough one, right? And the Lord wants to tenderize you so he can use you. He wants to tenderize you so that he can use you to make an impact in people's lives. Remember when Paul prayed for that thorn in the flesh to go away, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, I prayed and asked the Lord to take it away, but he didn't remove it. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, this is what he said. He said, the Lord said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. You see, it is at the point of our weakness where God is able to pour his grace out on us. For my strength, he said, is made perfect in weakness. When you come to that moment of weakness, when you come to that moment when you say, I can't handle this anymore, when you recognize that, God says, you've just given me the ability to perfect strength in you. Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, in my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. You see, you think you're strong when you've got everything under control, when you can handle it. But you're wrong. It's when you recognize that you don't have everything under control and you can't handle it and that life is a mess and you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do with your spouse. You don't know what to do with your kids. You don't know, you don't know what to do with your, 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 your work relationships and employees and employers. You don't know what to do with your finances. Uh, you're struggling in your Christian life. You're dealing with temptation. You want to be a witness, but you just, you're faltering at it. You want to have a prayer life, but you're faltering at it. And you recognize, I'm a weak person. That's when the grace of God can be poured out on you. You see, God uses our weakness so that he can make us strong. Jesus said this in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. I'm tender. You see, Jesus became weak 
to identify with our weakness. And he said, come to me and ye shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, David is going to learn that through his weakness as a ruler, he is going to be a better king to those who are weak. The Bible tells us this in Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Now, let me tell you what the high priest did. The high priest approached the presence of God on behalf of the sin and the frailty of the people. That's what the high priest did. He went to God on behalf of the people. And the Bible tells us that we now have a great high priest. His name is Jesus. He's in the heavens. He's not in some room in the tabernacle. He's in the heaven in the presence of the Father and he's there on my behalf and yours. Verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. There's that word again. Our weaknesses but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus came and became a man and became weak so that he could identify with our weakness. And now in the presence of the Father, he appears for us touched with the feeling of our weaknesses making intercession for us. That's the kind of king you ought to be glad you have. So I want to give you hope today. In the midst of your weakness, look to Jesus. He wants to use it to manifest his strength. You say, I'm dealing with cruelty. Well, bring it to Jesus. I'm dealing with sorrow and despair. Bring it to Jesus. I'm dealing with confusion. I don't know where to look. I don't know what to do. Bring it to Jesus and let his strength be made perfect in your weakness. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.